Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And we're live. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. And today I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Christina Edmondson uh, to the Jew 3 Project podcast. Welcome, Dr. Edmondson. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to uh, be on this episode with us. I'm really excited. So for those who don't know who you are, can you just give a little bit of background? Yeah, sure. Who am I? This is a very good question. <laughs> so yeah, I am. So my, my name is Christina. Feel free to call me that. Don't call me Dr. Christina Edmondson. Call me Christina. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm a, a college administrator. So I'm a, a dean. I oversee a few offices at a, a Christian college in the Midwest. Um, my background is in um, counseling psychology, uh, marriage and family therapy, and sociology from an academic standpoint, race, class, and gender. Um, I've spent the last maybe good part of a decade looking at um, cultural agility, cultural growth, intercultural development, anti-racism work. Um, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I'm also a pastor's wife, which is kind, which is a thing. That's like a thing. <laughs> and um, I'm a mom. I have two little kids, and um, and yeah, so that's that's a bit about. And I'm a native of Baltimore, Maryland. I always give a shout out to Baltimore because I love my city. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's who I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, today we want to talk about bitterness and the Christian witness, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was talking to you uh, before we kind of went live on why I felt like this was an important topic for us in the the apologetic realm, Um, because when I'm having conversations with people, especially that have subscribed to maybe black cults or just threw away the Christian faith altogether, sometimes their issue is not a logical, philosophical reason, um, but a reason of deep pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And that hurt is very real that bitterness is very real um, and their experiences are very real. So we want to affirm those things. Um, But if that is the real core issue, we have to deal with that before we necessarily deal with their um, philosophical reasons about scripture. Cause I I believe that bitterness clouds the way you view things. Um, For sure. sure. Yeah. And so, um, so I, I definitely just want to dive right into that topic. Yeah. Uh, the best, the best starting question would be what is bitterness? Yeah. So what is bitterness? So, um, there's a couple of different ways to look at it, but, but bitterness is, um, I would describe it as a hopeless lament. So lament within itself, kind of the, um, acknowledgement of reality of pain and suffering, but is still grounded in and tied to um, the hope, which is in a person, which is in Jesus Christ. Bitterness would be uh, d- those the reality of the pain, the suffering, detached from hope. Um, and it is it's enduring and it's festering, so it grows. It gets more uh, deep seated and deep rooted into who we are. Um, and the bitter, the bitterness that we have, uh, you know, it, it could be a, a legit response to very real hurt and pain. Also could be a response to maybe a misguided entitlement that we have. Um, but nevertheless, the consequences are still, uh, can be really profound. 
So that's how I would describe what, what bitterness is. Do you think bitterness starts from, uh, um, is it like unforgiveness that grows? I mean, it, it can be, it can be absolutely. So, um, so when I think about bit bitterness, I can think of a, just a couple different examples. Um, so it, it's an unforgiveness that grows, but it's also a, a blaming of God and um, a denying, denying God of God's intrinsic um, identity as gracious and good and kind. So you think about the story of like Ruth and Naomi and you think about, um, you know, uh, kind of before the women are moving back, um, back home, back to Bethlehem. And then there's a sense of a name change that takes place to, to Mora. And the name means bitter. And that name is, and, and what you hear is this sense of God has done this to me. Uh, but not in like a joyful sovereignty that like the Lord has allowed this to happen, this suffering that will now shape me and um, that will make me more like Jesus, but more in a sense of like, like I'm blaming you, God, like you jacked up my life. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I would say that's that's one of those distinctions. Now, the women don't stay there, though. This is the thing about bitterness and whether or not it becomes enduring or whether we can shift out of it, because they don't stay there because the story doesn't end there. The story mm -hmm. ends with a great deal of hope. And this is why I would tell people that oftentimes the goal isn't for us to deny a negative feeling or a painful feeling. Like, by all means, if if things are messed up, you should acknowledge that they're messed up. <laughs> like you don't, have, you don't have to have like a, a kind of a faux Pollyanna Christianity. Um, if you just look at the Psalms, if, I mean, you you can see um, these kind of beautiful but painful statements about the reality of things that are happening. Right, particularly when you look at what David is writing. Um, but living in that place and then denying God His intrinsic identity as good uh, and gracious that's when we begin to sow seeds of bitterness um, and it begins to shape who we are and how we see other people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you made a great, great point about it, it being sometimes the bitterness towards God, mm -hmm. because sometimes people don't like to say necessarily, they don't like to verbalize mm -hmm. that they're upset with God because it seems like it's bad. So I, I, I know a, a number of people who can articulate they're upset with a person but then they can never articulate like God as the source of their frustration in a sense. Um, some people haven't really grasped how to really say that without thinking they're going to get struck by lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because... You know, yeah. I, I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> Go no, ahead. We don't have a lot of space for lament in general in contemporary American church culture. Um, and so it's people haven't seen that model very well. But I mean, if you can, you can look at like the narrative of Job. Right. And so um, though you slay me, yeah, I'll trust you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's a that's a very real acknowledgement of like, you know, God, you are sovereign and powerful. And um, and this and whatever is happening to me or has happened to me is very painful. Um, yet I'm going to trust you at the same time. And so I think there's space for it. There's also space for us. I mean, God already knows our heart. So I, I think when people um, deny the, the opportunity to verbalize real painful feelings of disappointment, then they're not able to receive grace through repentance and correction and rightly seeing who God is and rightly seeing who we are ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think it's interesting, like in, in the book of Ezekiel, mm -hmm. 
uh, there's a passage. I can't remember where, where it is, but it's like the children of Israel were saying to God, well, I'm going to be disobedient because you didn't come through for me. And it's like this passive aggressive um, right. uh, nature towards God. And we think of, we see sometimes, you know, in our relationships, we can be passive aggressive with people, but then we never think about the fact that sometimes we could be passive aggressive towards God. Like we're actually willfully sinning because God didn't give us X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's really, I think, a thing that most people sometimes don't realize about having bitterness yeah. towards God. It can manifest that way. Well, it's, it's always tempting, right, when we're sinned against, to sin against others. Um, and, to, and, and sinning against others is sinning against God, right? So the way in which we treat other people is tied to the way in which we see God and love God. So that's, it's all interconnected, right? So, um, so that temptation is always there. When someone sins against us, whether they slander us or they physically hurt us or abuse us or ignore us or whatever it is, or they deny us, or they deny us a means of justice that is right, it, the temptation grows in us to then say, okay, well, now I'm entitled to respond in kind. I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to respond in that way. And we can even see this happen when someone doesn't just sin against us, but maybe they sin against a loved one, right? So I'm sure you've heard like um, Maya Angelou's like favorite, uh, famous kind of narrative about her becoming mute as a child, right? So she's sexually assaulted as a little girl. Um, I believe it was some uncles that found out about it. They, want, they went and took, you know, vengeance upon the perpetrator and the, the perpetrator dies. He's killed. Um, and she then goes mute. Like she, she has like the selective adolescent mutism <laughs> that takes place um, because she, t she's tying her testimony of something happening to this man losing his life. Right. And so in that example, what you see is sometimes what we do is that someone we love could be sinned against and we actually can lose sight of them and their trauma and their pain. And we can become puffed up. And we can act out in a way in which we actually are no longer loving and caring for the victim. Now all of our attention is focused on the abuser or the victimizer or the oppressor. And I think there's a way for us, us to, to rightfully balance that, to make sure that we are still being attentive. Like you think about racial reconciliation work, there's a way in which we can engage racism where we have completely centered um, white racism, for example, and have completely ignored the experience and perseverance of African-American people. Like that's not what we want to do. It's <laughs> not what we want to do. So, um, but the temptation is there. It's, the temptation exists for us to focus solely on um, the abusive person, the oppressor, the traumatizer, or whatever it might be, instead of actually caring for the person who might be wounded. Mm -hmm. And I think to focusing on the oppressor and those who are oppressing, sometimes if we don't deal with that, we can in turn become the the ones that are oppressing others. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, that's the thing about um, lack of forgiveness is that um, when we lack when we lack forgiveness, you know, you, the temptation is for you to become what it is that you hate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You become obsessed with it, consumed by it. And so you think about scripture talking about judge not lest you be judged, right, in the same way. So that kind of, um, you know, when we're overly critical about something, we can find ourselves being judged by those same standards. Mm -hmm. That's so true. So how do we know if we are bitter? How, <laughs> how can we identify bitterness in our own hearts? Because it's, it's easy. Uh, sometimes we can miss it. Like, I think sometimes 
it's helpful. That's why it's helpful for a community. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I remember a, a particular time I was struggling through my own bitterness and I really thought I was over it. And it was a friend of mine that identified it for me and I completely missed it. So um, how do we um, know when we have bitterness in our own soul? So <laughs> how do we identify within our own hearts? So, okay, so a couple, a couple ways I would say. So one way that we can, you know, begin to identify, um, you know, bitterness in our, in our own heart is um, by, by discerning whether or not we no longer have hope. Hope is one of the ways in which we can, um, so, so hope allows us to be able to acknowledge what is true. Like this is terrible, this is messed up, this really did happen. We do not have to have, um, we don't have to be deluded about pain or suffering or injustice. But hope reminds us that um, this is not eternal, like injustice is not um, gonna be enduring forever. Um, and that we have a confidence that is separate from our present circumstance. We have a confidence in a person from the Christian perspective that is separate from our current circumstance or what we're experiencing at the moment. And so if we no longer are able to carry hope in the midst of our, um, our pain, then that, that's an indication that we might be living in a place of bitterness. Also, if we can't be soothed and we don't want to be soothed, right? So um, one second, my light hit here. Um, if we don't want to be soothed at all, right? Um, if we're just, uh, so think about bitterness as drinking something that has like a bad, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but you don't want to remedy it. You want to keep the bad taste in your mouth. And cause sometimes bitterness can give us a sense of power, like, um, as bizarre as it sounds, right? So staying in a place of unforgiveness, we, we feel empowered and emboldened by that. Now it's a fake, it's a fake power. Um, and event, and it's actually turning inward and eating us up. But we feel entitled. We're like, you did this to me, or this is terrible, right? And so um, if we find ourselves not wanting to forgive, um, feeling entitled not to forgive, getting a sense of power and purpose from the victimization or from the pain, um, then those are signs that we might be in a place of, of bitterness. Mm -hmm. Do you think those can can be do you think those need community to be to be brought out or do you think that one can do it uh, recognizing isolation now say that again say the question again do you think that community is helpful for that to be brought out um or do you think that one can it could be done in a place of isolation oh i think community is essential community mm -hmm. is essential um, and so it's it's really, really hard for us to see ourselves. I mean, it's just a real challenge. And so we have to be able to see ourselves um, with, you know, we have a deep interdependency and whether we know it or not or acknowledge it or not. And so other people um, allow us to be able to better see who we are. And this is why being in fellowship, being in community with others, uh, people who that you kind of are mutually submitting to that can speak into your life, um, is really important because they, they're in a position to recognize something in you. And they're in a position to say like, you're right, you have been hurt, you have been wronged. Um, it, you know, dear brother, dear sister, is bitterness taking root? How do you know? How do you know? Um, would you want to apply grace to the situation or would you feel better just letting it ferment in you? <laughs> do you want to hold on to it? And I think other people are able to, to say that when there's a relationship of trust and respect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think that's that's very, very important to have that communal component um, for what you're saying, because we are we are dependent on each other, whether we want to. Uh, yeah. Acknowledge it or not. How can um, bitterness taint our Christian witness? Oh, sure. Sure. So to go back to the idea of hope. Right. So Christians are people of hope and we are the people of, um, you know, we we are the people who believe, who have a, a deep confidence um, in a returning savior. Like, I mean, it's just, just a very hopeful narrative. We're like, you know, things are, things are terrible. We don't have to be in denial, <laughs> but we have this, we have this enduring hope that grace is the solution. Um, and that, um, because Christ has forgiven the worst in us, we can forgive others and we must forgive others. Um, so when we live in a way that is contradictory of those very clear, basic, I mean, like, elementary Sunday school level level concepts of Christianity, then people rightfully will look at us and go like, I don't see any grace in that. Or, um, or th- these Christians are so angry, like they're so hostile. Right. And they, they, I think people external to the Christian faith have a right to critique us based on what we show behaviorally. They have a right to say like, that doesn't seem very loving. That doesn't seem very unifying. It's like they're always infighting. I think they have a right to to look in and to say something seems off there mm-hmm. yeah because as you said like people are going to say it's funny because people that are looking in the church call christians hypocritical for not forgiving but they're not always forgiving themselves um and people actually walk away from the church because somebody didn't wasn't showing grace to them but then in leaving you're not showing grace to them so absolutely absolutely well yeah i mean we all we all want to be treated better than we treat other people <laughs> like we all <laughs> right like I, mean, I do like everybody wants to be treated better than we treat other people right which is which is interesting because um you think about scripture saying you know treat others as you want to be treated like this is <laughs> Once again, like elementary school, Sunday school concepts. It's 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 the um, I have an elder who used to say it's the um, it's the basics of Christianity that we trip over. Sometimes we try to get fixate, fixated on the most like complicated, abstract, esoteric thoughts. Nah, it's the basics. <laughs> it's, it's the very basic elements of the faith that we trip over. Like God has forgiven you much. You kind of have to forgive other people. It, it's those things that that we stumble over and that we trip over. Because, because frankly, in our strength, we actually we actually are not going to be able to do those things. Everything that God calls us to do are things that God God God's self it is going to need to empower us to be able to do. So our dependency on Christ and the Spirit of God do not change just because we're believers. If anything, as a believer, you know even more day by day how much you need to be empowered by the spirit in order to do uh, those basic commands. Mm-hmm. How can we as Christians, especially African-American Christians who mm-hmm. can have so much trauma um, just within our experience in the U S with systemic um, injustices mm-hmm. and then come into sometimes church spaces um, that cause more bitterness, um, they cause more wounds. How can we keep ourselves free from bitterness? Yeah. Um, what can we take to to not let those wounds, because they will end up, you know, hurting us in the long run if we hold on to those? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so 
you know, we have to be honest about sin. And I, our own sin, the sin of others, but sin that is systemic. So I, I take a, I have a particular uh, view of sin as it relates to like total depravity, which doesn't mean that everybody's the worst that they can possibly be. It just means that the fall, the impact of the fall has, uh, you know, has, has, um, has found its, its hooks in everything in systems and societies and ideologies like it's and we just don't know the extent of how deep that sin goes the sin in us and the sin in things right and so i think i think um when we when we're coming into spaces where people are insensitive or overtly harmful to us as african americans we have to be reminded of the the depths of the fall Right. So things are not as they should be. And systemic sin is, is a very real consequence of the fall. Um, and it's not one in which the scripture is silent about. I mean, you can look at the old to the New Testament and hear um, hear 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 the cross cultural tensions that are very much there. Um, and the legalism, which really is an expression you know, racism and bigotry are a form of legalism. It says Jesus and so Jesus and my white identity. Jesus and my middle-class virtues, Jesus and my Western Christian construct, right? <laughs> no, Jesus and is not going to cut it. It's Jesus only. <laughs> it's, it's him, him crucified, right? So, um, so I'm not surprised that we, that that happens in those spaces that we ended up, we end up getting hurt because oftentimes we're dealing with um, the consequences of legalism. Now, a couple of things for me that are important when I'm in those spaces and I am in those spaces uh, fairly frequently is uh, to say the truth in love. Now, this is what I realized. Now, when I say say the truth in love, <laughs> for some people that can, be a, that can be a bit of a relative term because my direct statements, like me saying directly like, oh, well, that's racism. There are people who might say like, oh my God, how dare you say that's racism? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, like some people just just stating the fact is considered mean or unhelpful. And so um, and and that actually is re-traumatizing. Right. So when I think about my work with people who have actually who've been physically, sexually or emotionally abused, one of the things that that causes um, the pain to permeate and to linger and to become almost um, encompassing of their whole identity is that people deny their experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the most painful things about racism for black Americans is that people simply deny our experience. Oftentimes we're not even asking people to actually fix it, like from a systemic, systemic or structural standpoint. Many people are, but most people aren't. Most people are actually looking for someone just to say, I hear you. That sounds awful. It should not be that way. <laughs> Most people are looking for an expression of empathy, but but it's very difficult to get that right. So from people who cannot see it or who don't want to see it, so there's a very real spiritual blindness when it comes to social injustices. I think this is where we have to be steeped. African American Christians have to be steeped um, in our theology to be able to rightly understand why it is there's a spiritual blindness on certain topics, um, and 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 also be prayerful about where am I blind because I can see the blindness in my brother or sister over here, but, but where is my blindness, right? Because I'm just as broken as these other folk are broken. And it's important for us not to, be, not to deny the truth, uh, which is a means of grace. So if something is um, unjust and bigoted and wrong, we have to verbalize that. 
We can't we can't sit on it. That's one of the ways in which bitterness manifests itself is that there is a wrongdoing that takes place and we opt not to disclose it. Mm. We just eat it. It's almost like we think about something like racial microaggressions. I do this activity with students where I take this um, this huge Jenga uh, game, you know, Jenga with the little blocks. And um, <clears throat> and in each Jenga piece that's removed represents kind of a racial microaggression, which basically are insults that that people of color experience. Like, oh, can I touch your hair? Why does it feel that way? <laughs> or, or someone saying to me once, like, oh, you have a dad? You, you have a dad? So, <laughs> you know. Um, I've had that happen. Right. <laughs> well, most people have parents, you know, that's how they get here. Um, but, but yeah, so, so, so imagine each one of those blocks representing a racial microaggression. And then over time, what happens to the Jenga? It gets unstabilized and it falls. And people oftentimes only experience us when that last Jenga block has been removed and it falls and we're like, ah, you know, um, they don't see all the missing pieces that have been taken out of the Jenga activity. And I would say that we have to we have to do something about each of those pieces, each of those indignities. Otherwise, we won't be on stable ground and that last Jenga piece will be removed and then we'll just we'll fall apart. And then we get a lot of visibility to go from being completely ignored to being very seen. Right. Because we're responding to the hurt and pain of having all those pieces removed. So we have to be truthful and honest about what we're seeing. And we also have to uh, we also have to have a confidence that the spirit can change people, ourselves and others, um, and that God's work is at hand. Right. And so and we have to seek reconciliation in unity. But that requires repentance and truth, truth, communication, truthful communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that reconciliation reconciliation portion is hard because it 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 requires us sometimes to submit ourselves to hurt again. Um, Yeah. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Especially for African Americans, we're we're trying to force a conversation on people sometimes that don't want the conversation, and which re- recreates other <laughs> wounds. <laughs> well, and here's the thing: not only are there people who don't want the conversation, they have they have incentives to not to not participate in the conversation. If if in some way, from a very material or earthly standpoint, they're benefiting from the injustice. Um, now, now, spiritually and morally, they're not benefiting. So privilege, privilege is not always a privilege, is what I tell people. <laughs> because spiritually and morally, it's actually not a benefit. Um, but yeah, they, they don't have the same in, incentive to um, to speak into the situation. And also, there is a, at this point, I mean, this has been the case historically, but I would say now even more so than ever because of the um, the, the invention of the internet. There's a, there's a significant propaganda arm that, uh, even with white Christians, that is constantly, constantly producing rhetoric and ideology around white people being victims, around uh, uh, racial reconciliation being uh, antithetical to the gospel. I mean, there's a there's an arm, an industry that is that is producing this type of rhetoric, and so I think um, you know we're, we we have a lot to push back on and a lot to expose with the light of the actual gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true, and it's it's sometimes I think. It's very hard when you're dealing with um, people who have been very deeply wounded and then they might get a taste of a occult like Hebrew Israelites or um, comedics or Moors that kind of affirm their identity sure. and seem to give them um, 
something else that actually affirms them. And so they're wounded by a person, but it's like real authentic Christianity is not that. And so it's like trying to get them to separate the two. Sometimes it's so hard because they see them as, as one. I think that's the biggest struggle, like trying to in their minds be able to make the distinction between one and the other. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's it's a real gospel issue. When I talked about legalism earlier, right? This idea of Jesus and Jesus and my 1950s uh, <laughs> Stepford Wives Christian-esque identity. <laughs> like, people, people who are outside of those bubbles look at that and they're like, that's not what I am. That's in contradiction to what I am. It almost feels like it's attacking who I am in terms of my racial identity or gender or whatever it might be. Um, and so because that's all tied up into the presentation of maybe American Christianity for people, they're rejecting all of that. They're like, uh-uh, because that, what I just described, actually has rejected them. It has, it has sold them a false Christianity as if Christianity started in, in you, know, you know, as if um, Christianity at its core is not an Eastern faith, right? Like in, Ameri- in the American context, you would not know that. You, you'd have no idea. Um, you would think that, our, that Christianity is a product of England, I mean, or, 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 or a European nation. I mean, like you would think that. Um, and, and because, we, because of our idolatry, we pull on God to be made in our image, which means we also pull on Christianity to be made in our image. And there are huge consequences to that, right? So Jesus is, and you know, is and was an Eastern man. There is a there is an, an an Easterner who is interceding on behalf of the church right now. And when we make Jesus kind of acultural, there are very there are very significant consequences to that. First of all, we don't make them acultural. We 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 pull them into our cultural context. And if we happen to be the dominant culture, then and we have power, then we know what that's going to look like. But when we we play this game that Jesus is acultural, we really uh, are communicating to people who whose cultural identity help shapes shapes many of the experiences that they have, particularly injustice. We are saying that Jesus cannot handle their pain. Jesus cannot handle their suffering when Jesus Himself was a member of an oppressed minority group. So I think I think it's important for us to continue to, to lift up an, an actual orthodox biblical Jesus uh, before people of color, because um, I think that they will find within Jesus's narrative a great deal to, to actually identify with. Yeah, because that, that um, those, especially the microaggression piece, I experience that all the time uh, in, the, <laughs> in the settings I'm in. And it's so funny because I have to even catch myself sometimes mm-hmm. of painting with a broad brush. So uh, I'll I'll get frustrated and be like, well, um, just and I'll lump all white conservative evangelicals in one bunch. Right. And it's like I'm not able to even receive for like a week anybody from that camp. And it's like, no, some of those people are your friends. <laughs> some of these people have helped you. But it's like if you don't like talk through it and you're like for me sometimes my weeks can get busy and you can take on so many different experiences and you're just trying to get through and then you wind up not being able to receive from anybody in a particular group oh, uh, sure. because of that and lumping them and I and I hate when they uh when 
white people paint black people with a broad brush. And then sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll do the same thing. So it's yeah. kind of like always checking your heart, like, God, where am I at? Well, um, we, um, we uh, like I mentioned, like we, we, can't, we, can become, we can become what we fear, right? We can, be, we can become those things. And, um, and fear itself is just so tricky, right? And so when we have legitimately been hurt or traumatized, um, we do begin to paint with a broad brush because we're trying to make sure that that hurtful thing doesn't happen again. We can become a bit obsessive about it. Um, and we can start to develop a blind spot where we, um, yeah, we find ourselves kind of putting a whole group of people in timeout. I'm like, you know, everybody in timeout. Because <laughs> time right now you all are talking crazy. You all sit over here. Um, but, but the truth is, like, as you mentioned, we all want to be seen in a way that respects our culture and identity, but also our unique personality and individuality too. We want all of those things to be honored. Um, and so we're kind of giving what we want to get. But remember, perfect love casts out fear. And much of and much of what we're talking about is the fear of being hurt again, um, the fear of being re-traumatized, um, the fear of being disappointed by church people. Um, and it is, it is love, perfect love, love that's, that is given to us by the spirit that helps us to live in a way that we don't have to dictate our next step always based on being afraid of a group of people. And here's the thing, those people just might cut up again. As a matter of fact, they probably will. <laughs> they probably will. But that still doesn't mean that we have to be bound by the fear of the next crazy thing that this this person says on Twitter, right? Or or in you know, in my you know, we come we come from ancestors who weren't dealing with crazy things on Twitter. They were dealing with people actually trying to kill them, right? Um People can try to kill kill your identity and kill your value through the internet, um, but in terms of, of real physical attack, right? So these, these are we are descendants of of these people, um, and that's not to say it doesn't still happen currently, but not to the same degree um, and in the same ways. And we have to be mindful that in many of those cases, you look at the historical black church, chose perfect love, chose forgiveness uh, and not as an expression of their weakness or kind of a Pollyanna-ness, oh no, no, but as an expression of a steadfast hope that was bigger than white supremacy, that did not center whiteness, that did not center injustice, um, but instead looked to the God of justice. And I think there's there's much to, to learn from um, what we see in the biblical narrative, but also in the, the actual legacy and reality of the black church and the worldwide persecuted church is a great deal for us to learn today. Awesome. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to uh, to close it out. I was going to ask you, uh, how do we overcome bitterness? But I think that has been a permeating theme throughout and answers throughout the whole conversation. So how can um, people get in contact with you uh, on, on social media? And what books and resources would you recommend on dealing with the topic of bitterness? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so social media. What is my social? Um, media? So, Dr. C. Edmondson. <laughs> you can look me up. Find me on there. Some days I'm really on it, and some days I'm not. But go for it. Um, <laughs> and um, and I would. I mean, I would say there are lot. There are lots. There are lots of narr Lots of things that you can that you could read about this topic. I actually find the most uh, the most uh, kind of meaty 
information really is through biblical exposition. So you can look at the narrative, like so uh, of Korah's rebellion with Moses, you can see how the consequences of bitterness there. Um, you can look at um, uh, the rape of, of Tamar and the way that that's handled in scripture, right? So she was told to kind of ignore her suffering, uh, whereas her brother went out and became obsessed with the uh, the person who abused her, but, but she's kind of ignored and put away. We can see how bitterness can cause us to actually miss the victim. Um, there's just so many narratives and obviously the life of Jesus himself is a case study on being disrespected and mistreated. Someone who's entitled to all respect, all honor, all glory, all dignity, um, and yet uh, gives perfect love, right? And so um, I, I would I would lift up actually scripture on this. Um, I think there are other examples so people can look me up and I'll, I'll give you some, some good clinical ones. But I would say that the scripture itself um, offers a great perspective for us on recognizing bitterness in ourselves and what to do with it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Edmondson. This has been yeah. a great time. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com or you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play by searching the Jew 3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play or Apple App Store by searching the Jude 3 Project, and that will help you better engage scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the Jude 3 Project, go to jude3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on in, on social media by searching at Jude 3 Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.